You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's about to go. Buffalo Nerds Sports Podcast, where we talk history of the game numbers and stats. And each week we highlight a charity that's doing good. If you haven't subscribed yet, then you should, because I'm sick to this, this the, the real deal. And you know I got to shout out the Buffalo Bills. Turn it up to the max, sit back and relax. This the Buffalo Nerds Sports Podcast. Let go! What is up, Bills Mafia? Welcome in to this episode of the Buffalo Nerd, your home for Buffalo Bills football with a charity on top. Super stoked for this week's episode. It's been a while since we've had a female voice on the show. So, and we're not starting out at the bottom here. We're like hitting it out of the park. We're going way to the top of the food chain, getting some insight uh, on the Bills this offseason. So I'm super excited to have my guest on today, senior NFL analyst of NBC Sports and co-host of the Three and Out podcast. I'm joined by Samantha, excuse me, Samantha Button. Samantha, welcome in. Thanks so much for having me, Colt. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited to chat with you. Um, I like the show a lot. I think uh, that you've got a really good perspective and plus uh, your Bills Mafia. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm a new, I'm a relatively new Bills fan, actually. So I was a lifelong Browns fan and, and had to vacate uh, after the Deshaun Watson debacle. So I've always been fond of the Bills. So it seemed like the logical place to go for a former Cleveland fan looking for a new home. Yeah, I mean, it's only a couple hours up the road, right? And I, I applaud you uh, massively for jumping ship on that because uh, that's a terrible situation. And it's, it's really pretty disrespectful that we even are still even chatting about that gentleman uh, as much you know as he's getting. So I appreciate you uh, jumping ship and we're happy to have you because you picked a good time to come on board. And we're going to hit that this week uh, as we chat up the bills a little bit. Um, but before we do that, we do want to go ahead and highlight the charity this week. And uh, as the guest, obviously, Samantha gets to choose the charity. Uh, it looks like you've chose something probably close to home for you, um, but we're going to be talking about the New York. Uh, it's actually New York second chance rescue.org is where you can find them. Um, but why don't you go ahead and just kind of tell us a little bit about why you chose them. So I am generally interested in from a sort of, Oh, maybe someday perspective of the idea of ending kill shelters uh, for pets that need to be adopted and need a home. And Second Chance Animal Rescue focuses specifically on the kinds of pets, uh, mostly dogs, who are difficult to home. Dogs that kind of don't get adopted out as easily as others. So often that's older dogs, dogs with health issues, dogs that need a rehab from injury. And they work with foster volunteers as well as people interested in adopting to kind of help these dogs who are not probably going to be the first candidate when someone just wanders into a shelter and says, hey, I'd like a new pet to kind of find a good situation for them and also to provide a, a better environment for them while they are still in a shelter situation and kind of needing a place to be before they find their forever home. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, uh, me personally, I have a uh, 
about a 70 pound bulldog that I adopted uh, from a rescue that, you know, so this when you sent this over that this is the charity you wanted to highlight uh, very close to my heart as well. Uh, very cool. Uh, I mean, he he has a little bit of pit bull in him. And, you know, that's been, a, you know, a major concern for a lot of people and turn around and that's caused for some of those dogs to not get adopted as well. So a uh, very cool organization. Again, you can check them out at it's NYC second chance rescue.org. Uh, please head over there and take a look at everything they got going on. And maybe you can find yourself a new friend uh, to adopt for yourself. Yeah. very. So Samantha. Yeah. Sorry. Did I cut you off there? No, no. I was just thanking you for uh, bringing some attention to them. They could use it right now. So. <laughs> Yes. Cool. All, I think all pet shelters and, you know, adoption agencies and rescues across the country, you know, it's one of those things, especially during the pandemic, people have been put in a situation that it's been hard enough for themselves, you know, to survive that, you know, that trickles down to pets and people don't, you know, always tend to think about that. So it's cool to have organizations like this out there that have their backs. So very cool. So we are going to go ahead and we're going to kick it off with the football realm here. I've been I've been calling it hashtag Poyer watch. Uh, I, I, when he first signed on with drew, I knew this was going to be a problem. I mean, drew just doesn't bring on just anybody. And when he does, it usually means big money, big contracts. He doesn't play small ball. So in the Poyer watch market, he showed up to mini camp. Things are looking good. It seems like they're going to work it out either way. Where do you stand as far as the bills on this? Is this somebody that you're looking to pay long-term or are you saying, Hey, this is where we are. And, and we kind of got to move forward here. Uh, I think they should pay him, and I think they probably will. I mean, safeties have been sort of historically undervalued, but it was finally kind of starting to see a change in that. I think the role has become a little bit more specialized, uh, at least with respect to most safeties, which has helped them kind of get more respect <laughs> in terms of what they get paid. Obviously, as you pointed out, too, if you sign with Drew Rosenhouse, uh, <laughs> that certainly mm-hmm. doesn't hurt, but it does kind of scare teams off sometimes. So that's important. And I think that the Steelers, uh, what they gave to Minka Fitzpatrick is I don't know that it's necessarily like be all end all market setting because the Steelers are of course in a very, very different situation in terms of competitive window. And the fact that they're paying essentially nothing for their quarterback room right now leaves a lot of cap space open for them to just kind of do whatever. So Minka Fitzpatrick gets four years at 18.4 a year and it's 36 guaranteed. So, okay, that's, kind of market setting, but it doesn't necessarily have to be for teams in other situations. So I'm kind of curious, you know, how does Rosenhaus kind of square that with the fact that that's not really realistic for a team who is currently at the peak of its competitive window, but at the same time, you know, he's, Boyer is going to want to be paid at least near the top of the market. I mean, if you look at like what Tieran Matthew, the, the honey badger caught from New Orleans, they're close in age and he just got what three years 33 million so you might be looking mm-hmm. for something that's a little bit on the short term side but then of course the um you know aav is going to go up if you do that so another thing you have to consider and if it is short term you can't really backload it the way you would a longer term contract so a lot of pieces right. in play <laughs> Yeah, I think people really, uh, they just, uh, they see it, right? Like he's, he's, an, he's been playing at an all pro safety level, mm. 100% agree, uh, you know, and 
when they when you see that Fitzpatrick deal, it's like, yeah, oh my God. But it's like, well, he's six years younger. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of in a completely different situation, right? And he is clearly the best safety in that age range that's due to be paid. Um, I, you know, I don't see the translation. Uh, I use Sport Track a lot. Um, right now, the Bills have like four point nine million. Jordan Poyer, they're saying roughly ten point seven million is kind of the number he should be around. I felt like the only way this works for the Bills to really settle this is you front load him with a nice package for this year and then you both are willing to look other ways next season yeah that's a possibility too if you want to go you know the one-year deal which somebody in his situation i mean that is somebody who would be potentially i think a candidate for like a prove it deal even though he doesn't really have anything to prove but that's how we would refer to it and the one-year contract Mm -hmm. sure you can agree to go your separate ways after that i don't know that there's necessarily a sustainable way to do this especially if you factor in things like, well, how is he going to want this spread out? And you don't want, obviously, the dead cap hit at the back to kill you because you have other players that you're going to need to sign, which we'll talk about more in a minute. But, you know, he's not the only person who's going to come due over the next couple of years. And they're effectively right up against the cap right now. I mean, they're going to have what, like, I think you said four or five million, uh, something like yeah. that and change in room to maneuver. And that's, I believe, including the rookies. So it's a little bit of wiggle room. And certainly, certainly you could spread the bonus out to kind of diffuse it. But I don't know. I mean, you have to sign it, right? You absolutely have to. But for how long? Uh, I don't know that like the... Karen Matthew contract makes any sense at all for Buffalo, even though I'm sure that is going to get cited by Rosenhaus when he starts his negotiations up again. <laughs> right. Absolutely. I agree with that. I've been uh, kind of saying hundred percent when they signed Micah Hyde to that long-term deal mm-hmm. that they told me that they kind of prefer I don't, I don't want to say like that Jordan Poyer is not smart, but Hyde is clearly more of a brains player compared to a brawn player and Poyer is kind of vice versa. And I think they chose to put their money in the longevity of a guy that's more of the brain and not necessarily going to get beat up or Poyer might, even though he's been underutilized. But you mentioned the next guys that we've got to talk about. And I want to get your opinion on these two guys, because this is hot topic for the mafia. And I, I can see both sides of it. Where are you if you had to choose who you're going to give the big money to? They both have good seasons, similar to what they did last year. Are you paying Edmonds or are you going to pay Knox when it comes time? So it's tough because my knee-jerk reaction is to say I think you should pay Edmonds. I think he would be harder to replace. I think he's probably the more valuable player to the franchise. But but if you were trying to kind of hedge a little bit, you could kick the can down the road a little bit on Edmonds and say, okay, like we could – let him hit the market and then franchise tag him. But the cap hit is so big. If you do that, I mean, that's 19 million for linebackers probably next year. I mean, it's at like, I think it's at 18.7 now. So it'll be at least 19 in a year. And if you signed him to an extension, you could spread that money out. So that's kind of tempting. Um, at the same time, I mean, he is technically going to be more expensive, most likely by AAV than Dawson Knox, unless they do something stupid like the Hunter Henry contract with the Patriots or Johnny Smith, which I <laughs> hope they don't do. And I don't think that they will do. Uh, but, you know, going right for somebody like he was probably about eight. Right. I think if you look at Spojack, they're saying about eight million a year uh, for Knox, uh, a little bit cheaper than what Edmonds would command. But Edmonds is the guy who I want to prioritize. But some of this probably depends a little bit on Poyer, too, and what they end up doing with him. So a lot of irons in the fire there in terms of all the different pieces, parts that kind of have to sort out. And also 
there is the the piece of this too that you know the cap is going to increase exponentially over the next couple of years because of the way that TV rates deals are changing. So it is conceivable that you. I don't know if I'd really say I think you can sign all three of them to long term extensions. I'm not sure. I think that's truly realistic. The the hometown discount that would have to be taken there would be pretty dramatic. But especially if you were backloading in some cases and in other cases, you know, like with Poyer, for example, if you said, okay, let's just go one year here, it might open up some space for you to get the other two in. Presumably, I would think Edmonds would be probably the best candidate to lock down for an extension now because you could probably do it without adding to the cap this year, but it would require some finagling later. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a very good piece. Of, and that's and I think that the reason I kind of keep tying them is because I think this is also going to hurt Jordan Porter, because when you mm-hmm. just mentioned, I think if they could go after two, they're going to clearly try to keep Knox and Edmonds. I mean, these are guys that they've drafted and they've been grooming to keep around. Edmonds is younger than some of the guys that are getting drafted right now. Right. And he's, and he's already played four years in the league. So but for me. I'm kind of, I'm the Knox guy. I, I like what Edmonds does and he's put up great numbers, but he doesn't have that like killer aspect. And I think for what we have around him as a shell, presumably everybody else is there. And I think you keep Poyer if Edmonds isn't there. It's, I almost feel like you could find a linebacker to play at his level, but the connection that Knox and Josh Allen are building, I think that's like, that's like Brady Gronk, you know, like that's like that esque type of thing could take place. So, and I, I think if one of them is going to take the discount, it's going to be Knox. Uh, like he, he's the only one that I think would probably be willing to, because Edmonds could command big money. He's young and he's going to, he's played great football. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because I, I think the connection to the team does matter. Um, certainly in terms of what they're willing to do on their end contract wise, but also, I mean, some of it is positional scarcity, right? And, you know, how much of a unicorn is either of these guys? And also how much of a unicorn are they relative to what they offer specifically to the bills and talk a lot about what's the market value for this guy, but market value doesn't, it only goes as far as what they mean to the team they're negotiating with, right? So if a guy is worth more to you, then maybe you pay him over market value, or maybe you just prioritize him over somebody else who might be cheaper or whatever. But Knox, I think, has sort of the attractive quality in that it would allow them to keep Poyer. Most likely, um, you can argue, as you said, that he has a sort of specific relationship to the team that Edmonds doesn't have. Um, and would therefore be more likely to work with you on how you structured the contract, how much the contract is worth overall. And also, I think that quarterback to pass catcher relationship is something that you can't like, you can't go draft a guy and say, here's the guy who's going to connect well with my quarterback. Like, you have no idea when you do that. It's really hard to even trade for somebody in that capacity. So if you have that, that is worth something too, beyond what, say, a linebacker who and don't mean to be disparaging linebackers and saying, Oh, they can't have any personal value or connection to a team. But in this case, I think that's true. So that would certainly be a very good argument uh, for favoring Knox over Edmonds in this situation. Yeah. I mean, I think this is all just tough kind of for Bill's mafia because we haven't been in these situations where you're, you're truly going to have to consider getting rid of some of your best pieces Mm -hmm. to be successful moving forward. And that kind of brings me to the next thing that I kind of wanted to hit with you is like, we take teams like Miami who just went huge and got Tyreek Hill, right? So you take the chiefs who've been a contender, a contender, a contender, and they, they just lost out on one of their best pieces. So as Bill's fans, I think we have to 
we really have to get used to that idea. Has anybody in the AFC East this offseason done enough in your eyes to beat the Bills this year? Well, I think that whoever we think is going to be the best team at this time of year is unlikely to be the actual best team in reality. The NFL just doesn't work that way. There's too much that's up in the air, injuries, all this kind of stuff. So I hate to throw that out there. And, you know, I know the Bills are the front runner and that makes me nervous because I don't like being in that position as a fan. Um, I would prefer mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. the, the team that sneaks up behind you and hits you over the head while you're not paying attention. Uh, there's a lot of pressure and expectations yep. <laughs> that come with being out front. So I don't love that. I, you know, if anything, I'm trying to diffuse that and say, well, I don't know. Are we really, do we really want to call the Bills the best team? I don't know if I want to do that. But, you know, to me, the AFC as a whole is so much stronger than the NFC this year. Just when you look at just the talent shift that happened this offseason, there's going to be a lot of competition. But the good news for the Bills is all that everybody's talking about all these AFC West teams and everything that's going on out there. And oh my goodness, it's going to be so exciting. They're all so good. Well, guess what? They all got to play each other six times a year. <laughs> so the real winner in all of that, I think you can make a very good argument, was actually the Bills because no matter how good they are, they're going to beat each other up enough that that helps Buffalo probably more than any other team. And, you know, the East is still competitive. Um, there's certainly maybe not the Jets, but, you know, I think you have to keep an eye on obviously the Patriots and perhaps the Dolphins, although I'm not exactly sold on what they are doing there. But, you know, really your strongest competition and basically until they prove otherwise is probably still the Chiefs. Tyree Killer, not they're probably the next best team. But I think we kind of have to see how the dogfight in the West comes out, really, and what the seeding looks like in the playoffs before we can really say who's mm-hmm. going to be the best challenger for the Bills there. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a big time challenge from what they're going to what you just mentioned. They play each other. The Bills do have to play two of those teams from the division. So that is, you know, that mm-hmm. is bringing a little bit harder to this the front to our side of it. But I thought our schedule uh, started out pretty heavy with the eight teams in the front that are kind of just teams that are always capable of giving you a hard time or are just good enough organizations. But you mentioned the AFC is just it's stacked really top to bottom everywhere as you look. There's teams that can beat you and teams that you should be concerned with. Uh, I mean, the Colts are still a team that I would be concerned with, yep. you know, in, in <laughs> our, yeah, I mean, they're still a good team. And I think the Matt Ryan move is actually a bonus for them, you know, compared to where they were with Carson Wentz, even though there's some age difference, I think Matt Ryan could play very well in that system and, you know, he can still be that guy, but you, you, you got Justin Herbert, you have the, you still have the AFC North. I mean, you had the team that just played in the Super Bowl. In the, in the Bengals, where do you stand on the Bengals? They, they've really seemed to like slip. Uh, I don't know if you follow Super Bowl odds or any of that kind of stuff, but they, they took like a big fall behind like five, six teams in just the offseason. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it, to me, the Super Bowl odds are mostly predicated on the fact that it's very, very difficult to make a repeat appearance in a Super Bowl, um, especially for Super Bowl losers. Just if you look at the data like from year to year it just isn't very likely by the numbers and it doesn't really have anything to do with what you think of the Bengals. It's just that historically that's how this has gone. So Vegas is going to react accordingly to something like that. So I don't, from that perspective, I I don't really think much of it, but I was not terribly impressed with what the Bengals have done this off season. I think the fact that they got there at all was kind of fluky. Are they a good team? Yes. Mm. But are they? I don't even know that I would say definitively that I think they are going to win the North. I mean, are we really going to sleep on Baltimore yeah. that way? Baltimore's had probably the best offseason if you don't count the contentious Lamar Jackson contract stuff that's going on. So they've been quite productive. They had a better draft than anybody else in the NFL, really, in my opinion. So 
you know, I think it's going to be a tough road for the Bengals because, you know, again, that AFC gauntlet is rough and the AFC North is like the ultimate chaos division, right? Everybody beats up on everybody else, not because they're as talented as the teams in the AFC West, but because they kind of just can't get out of their own way. So, and then the Bengals are not an exception to that. I mean, they, they struggled to beat the Browns last year. They struggled to beat the Steelers and these are not playoff mm-hmm. teams. So I, yeah, I think the Bengals, it's, I wouldn't want to assume, oh no, they're not going to be a factor in all of this, but they're at the back of the line for me behind the other teams that are potential contenders like the Ravens, certainly the Colts, um, because I no one hates Carson Wentz more than me or loves Matt Ryan more than me. So I'm kind of stoked about what the Colts will be able to do. <laughs> so I think that might be kind of interesting, but you know, other than that, I just, the Bengals are back in the line there and and potentially even behind some of the other East teams in addition to just the bills. Yeah. I, I I was going to hit you with the Ravens next because Mm -hmm. I think they quietly, it's still going to all boil down to what Lamar can do as far as the offense. And if it can get a little more creative, because they didn't do much for their wide receiver room, but if he can come back at any kind of decent level, you still have to consider them a good, a a good competitive team this season. And that's one of the teams that we do play early on in the season. That's why I, when I brought that up, it's the first eight weeks It's it's pretty heavy. There's Pittsburgh's in there. Tennessee's in there. The Rams are in there. The Ravens are in there. The chiefs are in there. I mean, you're going very, very hot and heavy, I think, early on in the Bills uh, schedule. So the Ravens was one of those teams. I definitely think the Colts, if you get in the playoffs with them, they are a team that could absolutely beat you based off of just what we saw from last year. You know, like this this is June 20th, right? So we're, <laughs> we are making assumptions based off of nobody being hurt or, you know, right. any of those types of things. But yeah, I, I, I think that those are kind of the competitive teams. But what's happening in the AFC West to me is what's been happening in the AFC North for years is they just beat each other up. Like you just mentioned that it's, it makes it so difficult for somebody to really excel in those divisions where the bills are going to have to be just three, essentially second, third year quarterbacks. So with the AFC East quarterbacks, let me ask you that. Has anybody in the AFC East found their answer at quarterback in your eyes right now, besides the bills? Uh, you can potentially make, meant that the Patriots have, not because Mac Jones is going to be the next Tom Brady, but because what the Patriots really need is someone who can function in their system and follow orders. And I think he might be that person. So how far they can really get with him is questionable, but is he the guy? Probably. Um, I'm incredibly skeptical about Tua. Uh, I don't know that like you can... RPO, 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 and, and run a functional offense that way. And, and there's a great argument that says bringing in Tyreek Hill is going to help him a lot. Absolutely, yes, they're a good fit together. Tyreek Hill is also one person, and the Dolphins were not particularly impressive mm-hmm. under Tua. Uh, they've had a coaching change that may or may not be for the better. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> don't know that that's necessarily right. going to be helpful. They have a lot of strife in the building, all the way up to the owner's box. That stuff absolutely mm-hmm. trickles down and has real on-field implications, ultimately. I am not at all sold on the rest of their roster. The Jets are still the Jets. Like, I, Zach Wilson, I mean, what did Robert Sala, the first thing he said in his presser the other day when asked about this was, well, he doesn't have to be Tom Brady. And you're like, oh, boy, here we go again. Like, <laughs> really? That, that's where we're starting. Okay, not great. Jets going to Jets. Yeah. Same old Best Jets. quarterback ever. Yeah, yeah. Right? sure. Uh, Good plateau to put him at. <laughs> absolutely. I don't think Zach Wilson or Mike White or any of the other you know people in the uh, current Jets quarterback room are the answer to anything. I, as much as I respect Robert Sala, he can only 
work with what he has to work with and what he has to work with is not great. So yeah, I mean, I think you always have to keep an eye on the Patriots, right? As long as Bill Belichick is around and, and, you know, I think Mac Jones is functional, if nothing else within a system in a, on a team that essentially rewards good system play. That's what they're all about. So yeah, but they're probably the biggest challenger. They're not that big of a threat. I don't think so. Barring injuries for the Bills, the division is probably not the biggest challenge. I mean, you do have, like you said, pretty tough gauntlet in the first half of the season. And, you know, you're going to have a rougher strength of schedule than anybody else in the division. Mm -hmm. But strength of schedule to me is a little bit overrated because, you know, the bulk of your games are going to be played when we're talking just about volume against teams in your own division. And this division is not the weakest division in the AFC, but it's also far from the scariest in that capacity. Right. Absolutely. And I think kind of what you spoke to is pretty much that if you had to pick one right now, you're going to take the guy who's had the most organizational consistency around him. And that would be the Patriots, Yes, which brings us to the next thing that we're going to hit on. Cause for me, not only was finding the quarterback, the answer, but finding a good GM and finding an owner that could potentially be the the change that was needed. And that happened for the bills. Uh, you know, the Pagulas came in and they literally, they got the right guy in the building. They got the right GM in the building and everything just kind of changed. Now we don't see that everywhere. So you kind of mentioned the jets. You talked about Miami, like how much does an owner's inability to not function properly? We'll just say really affects these teams. Oh, it's huge. I mean, because it all comes from the top, right? So you, it's not like there aren't situations where you have like a very hands-off owner. So it's a lot more on the GM specifically, but somebody has to hire that GM, right? Or decide when it's time to fire him. So I I think it matters. I I don't love owners who are over-involved. I mean, nobody wants to get Jerry Jones to look at the Cowboys. Oh my goodness. Like I, I, Oh my goodness. Um, I mean, so many problems there, you know, so many poor choices in terms of the hires that have been made there. I'm no great fan of Mike McCarthy. Um, is my, uh, but it's working so well. So great. So great. They just got fined <laughs> for excessive, whatever it was yeah. that practice. I, Oh my goodness. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, the bill's ownership, you know, the people is don't are not the first ones that come to mind because it is, they're not like the richest rich guys in any sea of, you know, everybody who owns an NFL team is rich in a way that, you know, the rest of us cannot possibly comprehend, but the bills being technically the least valuable franchise in the NFL, don't pay as much attention to the ownership group as we do, you know, Steven Ross trying to have secret yacht meetings with Tom Brady and, you know, Robert Kraft and, and whatever it is that he's up to and Jerry Jones and all these people who are more prominent because their, their personal wealth or the value of the franchise in most of these cases is greater, but the impact of a good owner. And and I would speak to, I used to kind of think this about the blanks in Atlanta. I'm not sure. I think that's true anymore, but used to be. And so if you take like the Pagulas and what they've been able to do and what the bills have turned into as a result of that, and then you put at the other end of the spectrum, something like the Spanos family, where, okay, they've made good hires and the Chargers are a good team, but, you know, they've, they've moved and they have essentially no fan base and no brand identity. And every time there's a Chargers game in L.A., it doesn't matter who they're playing, the visiting fans take over the stadium because they just haven't been able to latch on. And it's partly because the ownership group is having their little succession moment where these four kids are fighting over who's controlling a team and the team itself is suffering as a result of that. 
um, I just, I don't think you can overestimate how much it helps to have an ownership group that is both invested in winning, not just in making money and also general competence in a sense of knowing that your job is to sign checks and not to make football decisions and you hire a person you trust to make the football decisions and, you know, Brandon Bean, you're not going to do much better than that. Right. And, and that's a huge difference from say what the Cowboys do. You know, again, if we come back to somebody who thinks that because they write the checks, they should make the football decisions never goes anywhere. good. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's been proven over time that you have to find clear separation between an owner and a GM. And if your guy wants to have some say, that's fine. I mean, it's their team, bring mm-hmm. them around, you know, let them learn the process. But the final say, I think it, it has to boil down to the guy that you're paying to do that, especially if you're not a football mind. And sure, Jerry Jones can claim he's a football mind because he's been around it forever, but prove it, right? Because you're not, you're not proving it at this point. You're just showing us that you can put a lot of money on the field every year, but it just doesn't finish. And that you go after coaches who got got fired by one of the best franchises in the NFL fires a coach. And that's the first guy you're trying to bring in the building. Like those are just confusing decisions to me. And you see over and over again, that the owner has problems. The GM trickles down, they're out of the building. Then even if you do have the right quarterback, he might not fit that scheme. And then that guy's looking for the new quarterback and you're just always in turmoil. So I cannot say how much I appreciate the Pagulas and how, how much they've saved us and turned around this franchise, you know, cause it, it's crucial. And I really don't like seeing my team in the news, you know, my owner in the news for dumb, dumb things and showing that they're above the law. Like they're going to be out of the country to attend meetings that they're supposed to be at and things like, like, yeah, no, thanks. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you don't want to be like the Stephen Ross, like, oh, was he, you know, alleged he's been accused of paying Brian Flores to tank, which who even knows if that's true. But just the fact that that's even out there, the fact that he was having a secret yacht meeting supposedly to try to sign Tom Brady, who was apparently going to fake retire and then unretire and then demand a trade to the Dolphins. I mean, even if this is all garbage, (laughs) the fact that it's out there is a problem, right? Because there's too many owners where you just don't ever hear anything like that. I mean, and it just, in the irresponsible, I mean, or take it, go the other direction and look more at the football side of it. Look what's going on with the Browns, right? Like the decision Mm -hmm. to bring in Deshaun Watson beyond dumb, right? Probably going to ultimately be looked at as like the worst contract decision, worse even than the Herschel Walker contract or the Ricky Williams, you know, all of the, you know, what is the dumbest, stupidest trade of all time candidates, like unbelievably stupid, especially with all that guaranteed money. And it's, you know, Andrew Barry didn't do that by himself. You know, I mean, you can say what you want about (laughs) how culpable he is going along with it, but you know, he answers ultimately to the owner. And so Jimmy and D Haslam are ultimately responsible for this. It's like the stupidest thing ever. And like, do you want to be the team that's in the news for signing the guy else thinks is disgusting. And then it gets even worse because it's like, Oh, did they not do their due diligence? And and if they did, why was 22 accusations? Okay. But 24 is not, or whatever you had to know this guy was going to get suspended. It just looks incredibly foolish and desperate. And you don't ever want to be that person. And if you're the GM there, I know sometimes you don't have a choice, right? Like the owner wants what he wants. If, if Jimmy Haslam says to you, you go right. get Deshaun Watson, then you go get Deshaun, Deshaun Watson because your choices are resign from your job and be unemployed or listen to the guy who writes your checks. But right. I think we all see from this, you know, this is another example of like, yeah, I mean, I think you said it best that you don't, you just don't want your owner in the news for these sorts right. of things. <laughs> 
All right. In closing, June 20th, who wins the Super Bowl this year? Oh, can I, I see? I, okay. I'm not going to say the Bills <laughs> because I don't want to jinx okay. it. Right. Even though that's what I want to happen. Okay. And I think there's a good argument for it. Um, so I'm going to say the Bucks uh, because I think that okay. if you were going to say any one of them, the Bills, it's going to have to be an NFC contender because I, I do feel pretty comfortable saying I think the Bills, you know, barring catastrophic injury news will be the team that comes through the AFC gauntlet. Um, I Again, if we come back to that, how hard it is to repeat. Um, I just don't think the Rams are a team that is built to do that, which really leaves the Bucks. So I hope I'm wrong and I'm not going to tell you whether I really think it's the Bills or not because I don't want to jinx them so <laughs> it's my super valuable opinion in the middle of june uh, <laughs> tampa bay buccaneers <laughs> absolutely love it all right well thanks again so much for coming on samantha i really appreciate your time i know you're a busy lady doing big things uh you got anything you want to shout out real quick before we get you out of here Ah, uh, not too much this time of year. Um, you know, we're on hiatus for sunday night football we'll, we'll see you guys in the fall uh three and out pod does run year round uh, so you can catch up with us over there we're, we're doing some sort of fun and goofy offseason stuff because there is no news we got quarterback hunger games coming soon so what quarterback would survive the <laughs> hunger games so that's a fun one we've got coming up but uh other than that pretty quiet this time of year i'm just watching a lot of baseball <laughs> right well thanks again for coming on i really appreciate it make sure you, you guys uh, give her a follow or if you're not uh, it's aunt samantha button and of course make sure you guys can if you can head over to nycsecondchancerescue.org and find yourself a new friend over there all right thanks again samantha and go bills you just listen to the buffalo nerd sports podcast make sure you leave a review and subscribe so you never miss another episode. We'll see you next time. Leg out. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.